Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast episode number 148. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. What's up today, guys? How was y'all's week? Half week? Half week? Why would it be a half week? We, 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 we let loose an episode half a week ago. <laughs> oh, oh, like our midweek. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's over now because... D has to go back to work full time. Yeah. We spoiled you. Yeah. And I have a new job. Maybe. Um, <laughs> on coming oncoming weeks. I'll be I'll be pretty free until I start my new job, which I have zero clue how free I'll be. Yeah, man. Times are changing. We will probably never be in the same city making this show. Unless y'all move to Maryland, no. I live there already. Not moving back. We just need to like make a headquarters and ship people to the headquarters. Maybe when we and have uh, we do that show there. dollars off all the money we've made on our terrible trades and in, in Bitcoin. Terrible trades. I make good trades. I've made one terrible trade. I've made some pretty. Bad I learned trades. my lesson. Oh, I've made some pretty bad trades. All in all, I'd say. The, the trades that I like, I'm a lot more hands off than I used to be. I'll tell you that much. My patience has grown tremendously since being in this space. And my like over greediness of like, I'm going to make trades on the day. I'm going to buy the, all these little dips and valleys and all that stuff. And I'm going to sell when the peak and I'm going to get in when it's news hits and all this other nonsense. It's like, nope. I like the idea of this concept. I'm going to buy some and I'm going to forget about it. Oh, you mean scalping? That's what yeah. we used to do. Yeah, we used to try and scalp all the time. Now it's like nah, I used to scalp I on my lunch break. Like, I wouldn't at, yeah. do my work because I'd be, I'd be sitting in my 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 cubicle or office or at home, staring at at the price all day long, and I'd be like, "Is now a good time?" And I'd be like drawing drawing pennants and. All kinds of weird stuff to try and like figure out what the price is happening. Reading all the news to see if I could figure out if something's going to happen, and then watching it. I didn't do yeah. anything. I wasn't. I wasn't working. My poor. That is working though. That's what trading. That's what day trading. Not what do. I was getting paid for. <laughs> <laughs> that was insubordination. The you can't do uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. I uh. I just remember there were a couple times when we were trading heavily when I felt like Neo. You start to feel like Neo if you start to guess things perfectly. You like you have one of those days where it's like, 
I've seen this before. And you just start guessing the price with ridiculous accuracy. I love it. Then you then you base a bunch of money on that same guessing power and it's wrong. <laughs> the the moment you're like, I'm gonna actually put a bunch of money on it this time, and then it doesn't yeah. work out. Remember when we first started when Mark was like, Hey guys, I noticed a thing. And we were like, What did you notice? He's like, When the blue line goes below the yellow line, the price goes down. And when the blue line goes above the yellow line, the price is going up. And we were like, Holy shit, he's right. And then we like did the research and we're like, Oh, moving averages. Now it makes sense. Didn't make sense at first though. Well, that's the problem with humans, right? And especially when it comes to trading, is that humans are naturally adept, like ridiculously naturally adept at pattern recognition. So we'll find a pattern in anything. We look for them. We want to find patterns. And when you're looking for patterns in a overwhelmingly irrational market, you can get yourself in trouble real quick. Like your your whole cup and handle scheme. You you were looking for cup and handles and everything, and you you found them. Yeah, I did. Damn but sure I did. <laughs> if we go back and look at it, it probably weren't having handles because that price didn't jump. Despite all the times you're calling it. Like, See, I do this thing where I redefine a jump. And I consider it a jump in my mind. Like, oh, what was that? Was that so a little. You work with loose definitions so that you're right all the time? Yeah. Pretty much. That's, yeah. That's you just, good. You just ex- expand the bounds. You expand the bounds. So, so you're always accurate. That's all. Like you take the bullseye and stretch it out, and then you you're always in the bullseye. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't trade. <laughs> Chill, a you do trade. trade. You've traded not currency though, or stocks. You trade like games. Oh yeah, I'm I'm all about the pioneers and the settlers and their barter system. But I don't know what you guys are talking about right now. No, not I mean like you used to trade games back in the day when we were youngins. I know, but it's not like hey, when the blue line's down, I saw all my ninja turtles and when the yellow line trading yeah. <laughs> market websites <laughs> looking at when certain metrics are, are performing in the right direction to give you an indication <laughs> on whether or not you should buy or sell. They never did any of that nonsense with video games as a kid. Can can you imagine going in like a neighborhood and listening to kids talk it and they're like all right like michelangelo's are pretty hot on the market right now i'm gonna need probably one of your more expensive games for this i just checked the check the mac d really undervalued on yeah. michelangelo uh action figures right now so, you, ever, you ever buy a brand new game and then took it to gamestop uh, we'll give you three dollars for this brand new game because we looked at the market cap. And, oh, wait. No, we didn't know research. We're just going to give you a shitty amount of money for this brand new game. And then they'll say, well, going into buy it back? That's now $4. Yeah. 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 <laughs> going into GameStop with a pile full of games is the quickest route to disappointment. Because like you're like, oh, this is going to be so great. I'm gonna get all these games and get the games that I want. I'm going to have some money left over. And then after she's done scanning... She's like, all right, well, if you include your Gamer Point Advantage bonus, it looks like you've got $13.72. <laughs> You're like, what? I paid easily 
hundreds of dollars for all of that. <laughs> just not me, it's the system. I don't know. I don't know they should make do. a South Park episode. They should put that as like a little thing in a South Park episode. Because it is so, so disappointing. But anyways, um, when you talk about crypto stuff, right? So, Cello, we're talking with an ad real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cello, All you right. want to let them know about stuff? Yeah. Uh, episode 148 is brought to you by the good folks. And Athena Bitcoin, which is the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. They're located in Houston and Fort Worth and Philly and Chicago. H-Tom. H-Tom. Uh, download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play for specific locations and more information. Visit AthenaBitcoin.com. And we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, BitQuick.co, which is the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer marketplace, Bitcoin marketplace, uh, where you can get cash for as little as... Wait, you get Bitcoin for cash. It only takes three hours. Uh, they've been serving our listeners and people for a couple years now. So where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. It's BitQuick. Get your bits quick. Yep. And uh, as ICOs are exploding in popularity, access to expert legal and marketing help is increasingly challenging to find. So our next sponsor is really cool. It's called uh, ICO Box. And here's how it works. You choose the best projects from the request for ICOs that they receive. So you can now get the best ICO tokens for pretty much next to nothing. And at minimum risk too, since the project tokens can be swapped at any stage of their sale, even after it's over. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but it, provided that they're still available on the platform. Uh, so there's five, there's a five stage process that kind of goes in there. So it's the best peace of mind benefit. Uh, you get Peace of mind, basically. So they have a unique and thorough two-step screening process where they review projects submitted for ICOs by experts and potential token holders. So to start that process, head on over to icos.icobox.io. Check out the platform. Get started. Great projects. Great tokens. Unbeatable price. ICOs is your new reality. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by... BetKing.io, we're only a week away from that Mayweather fight. So you got to use these people because they're going to add sports betting, poker, tournaments, blackjack, all with the funds that they raise with their ICO. So it's going to make it an all-around better experience. So to learn more about BetKing, head on over to BetKing.io, subscribe to the newsletter and get the latest news and updates delivered directly to your inbox. And it's also a great way uh, to make a little money. And all the funds will be held in cold storage. So right now, betking.io. The, uh, the bets between Mayweather, Mayweather and McGregor at betking.io is uh, the odds. 4.25. 1. 1.2 to 4.9. Oh, it's changed. Since that's on betking.io yeah. as of right now. So go put 1,000 on McGregor and make 5 Gs. Not wins. Hashtag not investment. Uh, works, right? Oh, yeah. Hashtag don't listen to me. <laughs> um, uh, it'd be funny if someone did actually try to sue us and we were in court well that wouldn't be funny because we'd be paying for that but in court we were like your honor we clearly said hashtag don't listen to me we clearly said hashtag 
This is not investment advice. I don't understand what there's not to understand about that, Your Honor. Objection. Badgery. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> Badgery? Badgery? Badgery with us. Yeah. It doesn't even matter if it's the right objection or not. I just want like, to say You're like Charlie from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Just calling out objections. Yeah. Objection. Um, leading. Objection. This is a nice website. Where you're right. Good job. It looks what better than it since, since they've started becoming a sponsor, their website has changed pretty drastically. Much better. Well, they said it was going to get better, and they follow through. And that's what we bring you guys. Follow through. Speaking of follow through, no, this has nothing to do with anything. Actually, I'm just bringing it up. So, the last, like, I don't know, month or so, I've been on this, like, craze where I'm like, man, like, People that get into crypto just don't give a shit about it. They just want to make money. And, um, yeah, my attitude's not changing with that. That's it. That was your that was your thing there. That's the thing. We've been saying that's all that for I got. a while now. Like, <laughs> no, my my viewpoint evolved on that. So, in my line of work, we use something called the Pareto principle. A lot of people know it. A lot of people use it, and it's like the 80-20 rule. They use it in all kinds of industries because it tends to be right. It's like one of those natural math number things. Numbers numbers are funny. Um, Wait, is it, a, is it a principle or a law or a rule? Well, Wikipedia says Pareto principle. The Pareto principle. I wouldn't call it a law. It's also, also known as the 80-20 rule. And the law of the vital few, or the principle of factor sparsity. All of these huh. things are not laws or principles or anything like that, because it's basically like business speak for actual mathematics, yeah. mathematical laws. Like you can you can call it whatever the hell you want. They're not these things. It's just how people, and in my opinion, before you go on to these things, this is how people create under like really understandable models that they can apply to like social behavior or something they can say like this looks like that type of thing so i'm going to do this because that type of thing always ends up doing this yeah it's, it's like this like how it works in application 80 percent of your time is taken up by 20 percent of the activities you do in a week right so if you were to think really really hard about all the different things that you do in a week 20 percent of those things is going to be taking up 80% of the time. Right? So then I was like, well, I'm going to apply that to my grandiose theory that, you know, people that are getting into Bitcoin don't give a shit about it. And then I was like, oh, let me use those round numbers that exist in the Pareto principle. My theory to Bitcoin adoption is that 80% of the people that get into crypto are trying to make a buck and 20% actually get intrigued deeper and want to actually contribute to the ecosystem as a whole. And I think that now what we're experiencing is just like an evolved form of adoption with this ICO craze and with the fact that not only like people are adopting trying to make a buck, but I think companies and hedge funds and traditional investors and there's a lot of dumb money rushing into the space. Like all of those people 
are also part of that 80-20 principle. Now, you take that into account, like 20% of this new money that's flowing in is going to contribute. going to contribute to the ecosystem as a whole. But 80% of it is just trying to make a buck. That's my theory. And I also think that we're in the beginning stages of these companies that have been getting all these hundreds of billions of dollars of venture capitalist money, their um, marketing campaigns are about to begin. Who, who do you think their marketing campaign is going to be for? They're going to be for the average person? Because right now, I don't think that technology is at a place where you can market to normal people. It's I don't think it's ever going right? to be marketed to the average it Joe will, or, it, it Jack, be, or Jesse. Right? That's the thing. So like, I, I had this, I went to the Ethereum, DC Ethereum meetup, and they talked about a lot of stuff that I think um, what people miss in a lot of ways is like the the technology stack that's being built and where we are along that stack and how that and how where we are along that stack affects the people you're marketing to or what the products you're currently building who that affects so like if you start at the very base level you're building infrastructure you're building you're building network and computer communication just like the base blockchain, what Ethereum is or what Bitcoin is. That's like basically the protocol in which com- computers speak to agree on some piece of data. And from there, you have levels that you build on top of that all, at, and at the very top of that level. But okay, that, that means that developers can build app, decentralized applications on a system like that that has some type of functionality. Or they use pieces that use that network to build applications that have some functionality. At the very top layer, you have applications. Stop! What are you doing? Eating chips? <laughs> top, Hello, top was level. tuning out. He's like, I'm about to open up this bag of flaming hots and let it rip. Uh, at the very top, I'm checking level, out. You have, like, you have end applications that people can use that affects their life, but we're not there yet because we haven't really solidified the base layer or the layer or two on top of that. And don't get me wrong, we have end-user applications, quote-unquote, but they're they're not very good. They're inefficient. They're slow. They don't scale. like Things like that. And at any point, when the infrastructure changes, everything above them has to change along with it. So it's going to be a while before we start seeing people even remotely try and talk to, this is in my opinion, try and talk to the people that are just average Joes that know nothing about Ethereum. We're trying to do it now, but it's I think it's stupid, haphazard. We need to solidify the, the base frameworks of how uh-huh. things work. Which I agree with that. Which But Bitcoin which, is solidified. Sure, whatever. Bitcoin's solid as a rock. Yeah, that's why it went up you know, like a ridiculous amount of money in a certain amount of time. Bitcoin cash just forked and now it's worth like what, twelve hundred and fifty dollars or something like that? I don't know. It's worth it. You know, it's, it's got this meteoric rise for, for no apparent reason. Like there's no solidification of these things yet. There's going to be a fork next month more than likely. Yeah. But that's stuff like that. We know. Sure. Exactly. Because that's going to have a very large effect on the end user and the applications built on these systems. These applications think, look about Coinbase and all this, and all this, the, for fuffle they've had to go through just to figure out how to 
what to do with this fork and how that affects their end users and what their application now has to do. They now essentially has to have to redo a lot of what they do so they can offer a new asset to their end users because the infrastructure changed. Bitcoin forked. Now they pretty much have been forced to add Bitcoin Cash into their system because they have to figure out what to do with how the infrastructure changed. Oh, speaking of that, shouldn't we talk about this upcoming fork in November and all this hoob-de-hoob-law that's going on? Sure, same shit's going to happen. It's going yeah, to it's gonna pretty much be the exact same thing that happened with Bitcoin Cash. There's going to be, except that I think the main chain doesn't want to fork this time. So, like, we're not, the main chain doesn't want to do anything different, but somebody wants to add on a hard fork. It's semantics. You can say main chain, you can say all kinds of shit, right? But the the main software implementation and those around it, if you look at the news and the media and kind of where you get information, seems to basically say, we don't want to change anything, regardless of saying we did a while ago. That was just basically to get SegWit in. But now there's no reason why we should do 2x, a 2 megabyte hard fork. There's a lot of other people that are like, we want 2 megabyte hard forks, what we agreed upon. We're going to do that. We're like, nah, we're not going to do that. So based on those two basic differences, you're going to see someone split off that is a two megabyte hard fork on top of SegWit and those that do absolutely nothing. My personal opinion is that I think the main minor majority will be in the do nothing fork. Yeah, miners tend to try and do nothing if they're making money. But they're doing some changes this week. Miners go where the money is. Whatever's whatever's mm-hmm. easy for them to make more profit. If they can do the same amount of work and make more profit, they'll do that. Yeah. So, like, think that's about what anyone that. would do. That's probably the only reason Bitcoin Cash is worth money now, because it's the exact same hashing algorithm. All the ASICs and stuff that that exists, instead of mining the regular chain, they're like, well, I can make a lot more money on Bitcoin Cash. They switch over there, or the same thing they had when Segwit two X because it'll be the exact same hashing algorithm if they don't change it. The miners are just running a business. There may be a small section of the miners that actually have a real care about this stuff, but I don't. I think for the vast majority of the mining community, the way it exists now in this kind of like small margin industry, they're just going to go where they can make the biggest profit in the shortest amount of time. I read that the difficulty is going to be pretty much halved this weekend. Why? I haven't read that. So the minor difficulty adjustment is going to get its first normal adjustment this weekend, dropping the difficulty by almost half, which will make blocks being confirmed much more faster and making Bitcoin Cash much more profitable to mine. Oh, Bitcoin Cash. Okay, you're talking about Bitcoin Cash. Well, I mean, mining regular Bitcoin is... That's for the hardcore only. Well, Bitcoin Cash has had to have massive difficulty adjustments because it has a much, much smaller mining community. And since yeah. it forked yeah. off the main chain, it's when it, at the moment of the fork, it had the exact same difficulty in mining, which means that if you have a small amount of people mining at the same difficulty, it takes longer to find a block. So what they've had to do is build in this um, like drastic difficulty adjustment mechanism that brought down the difficulty so that a smaller amount of people mining could get back to 10 minutes. Because that's the ultimate, ultimate goal of them is to have get back on schedule for 10 minute block sizes. 
and it's getting to the point where they shouldn't have to change the difficulty the difficulty should adjust to that automatically it should if they're using the same bitcoin script but it's going to take two weeks well yeah it takes 10 days right well it does it takes it takes 2016 blocks but if you're taking day at a time to make a block because the difficulty is too high you're never going to get there well that's their fucking fault well that's that's why they built in the mechanism that's why they built in that mechanism that well now i trust it even less well you have to do something you're, i don't have not... to do shit what they should have done is fucking not do what they did but they did and now we've got six billion dollars of phantom money but they that's stupid they shouldn't have adjusted the difficulty adjustment. I didn't know they did that. Are you, when did that happen? You have to do that. There's nothing you can do if you fork off of Bitcoin. You have to change the difficulty because you're not going to have the same amount of people mining the coin because there's not as many people backing it. You it's have like a to constellation trophy. That's what it feels like in my gut. Well, there's like, no other choice. Playing, but we're still going to give you an opportunity. Like Even though you walked off the field and you pouted, we're still going to let you get back in the game There's because no it's 2017. They can do whatever they want. Everybody gets a trophy. You have to, like, if, if you want your blockchain to work properly, you need to be able to adjust the amount of people who are using your blockchain. And if you start something from the fork like that, you can't start at some ridiculously arbitrarily high number of what Bitcoin's at because no one's going to have that much power behind it. You know what? If you want to compete, when, you would need to at least normalize to where you start. There's people. This this is Bitcoin Cash crew. This reminds me of like when you're when a kid's getting their ass beat, but they have the basketball and then they take their ball and they go home, or the football and they take their ball and they go home. You know what we used to call kids like that? Little bitches. What nowadays you, you call about? them bull. Nowadays they don't bullying. have the ball. They, they, they. Talking about they change the difficulty, so they get their own get chain. They're not changing Bitcoin's difficulty. It's a completely on their different Bitcoin network. Capacity. They're not. They're they're doing their own game. They're playing basketball in their bedroom by themselves. They have no effect on the regular court. Yeah, I guess so because their price is going up. Of course, price is staying up in the four thousand range too. That's because people can mine it. Now that it's getting to the now that their network difficulty is becoming easier to mine, they're getting regularly regularly timed blocks added onto the blockchain because the difficulty is getting in line with the amount of people mining it. You're seeing people jump over because they can they can mine faster. They can make more money on a different network using the same technology that they currently have. So they will jump over. But it took a while for them to basically sit, for the difficulty to come down. In that network, still, I still feel salty about it. I think it feels like they're like, "Oh, well, that game's not working for us. We're gonna go play our own game now." And but we're still gonna play by your rules for a while. Of course, why, like that. It's in terms of like an interesting mechanism for distributing all of your coins, as well as allowing people to jump onto your chain. For game tactics, for like game theory, it was a smart choice because you're allowing a lot of people in the Bitcoin network to participate in your network as well. Because that was their idea. They want everyone to come over. A whole ideological shift of what they're trying to do is say, screw regular Bitcoin, do what we're doing instead because we think it's better. And 
if you put a bunch of roadblocks for the people in the old network to come over, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. Of course they're doing this. It's what it was it was their idea to do that from all along because they don't want the old network to survive. Mm. It's yeah. deeper than snacks. Yeah. Uh, uh. I think it gets it. See, nice. Ophelia yeah. agrees with me. She's saying that's what she says. She was like, That's some bullshit. I don't agree with it. Yeah, I'm kind of floating in and out here, <laughs> dealing with her. You are. Oh, uh, hey. Go ahead. What's up? Go ahead. Uh, did you guys see the Fortune's 40 under 40 list this week? No. I don't want to talk about it. Let's get into the interview. Wasn't Why don't you want to talk about it? Because that son of a, that guy, that stand-up guy, won't come on our show. And I ask him tons of times, and he likes my tweet. And then he won't come on the show. Well, there's more than one crypto guy on that list. We don't have to talk about the other guy. Oh, okay. I didn't know there was more than one. I thought it was just Lex Luthor. If it, if it wasn't for Chance the Rapper, Vitalik Buterin would be the youngest person on that list. Why is Chance the Rapper on that list? Change of the game. I think everybody's up, up his ass nowadays just because, I don't know. Oh, Chance the Rapper. <laughs> I drink dark. These people are. I guess I should look them up. Ooh. Chance the rapper is a new rapper. I, I know who seen... Chance the rapper is. I don't know. Who <laughs> oh, okay. He, he sings things, hard. and he doesn't even really rhyme very much. He just kind of sings things like drinking this rebel or drinking this slowly. Yeah, that's pretty much Chance the rapper. Serena Williams. Wait a second. Vitalik was on that list. He's number ten. Yeah, he's by he's, he's ahead. He's you know, he's tied with Brian Armstrong. Yeah, they just lumped them together. When it comes to charismatic leadership, I think people buy into Vitalik's talent more than they buy into Vitalik's Vitalikness. Oh, I I buy into both. I feel like he's a he's a he's a tech producer. He's building things, and the fact that he's been deified by the entire community as being this super genius god of Ethereum, and he still is able to maintain a cool head and continue to build things and not let that get to him and, and like get this kind of complex of taking advantage of that deification that's been bestowed upon him, I think that's incredibly unique. And his ability to continue to produce really good, really good software, really good products, and trying to innovate in the space still, despite being ridiculously rich, says a lot about him as a as an individual and his ability to cope with this space. And I think that it because does. of that uniqueness, he's going to continue to be a leader in the space. I'm just talking about like his charisma and his like magnetism. I can't I can't like I listen to his interviews and I've listened to him speak and I can't get with it. It's very hard for me. Would you He's a nerd. Here's one of two like okay. What do you want him to do? Do you want him to build good technology or do you want him to make you cry? Like, what? who cares? If he's building the technology, that's why he's there in the first place. We can't expect him to be super charismatic party leader because he got thrust into that position. Yeah. Well, the, the photo they used, he looks really uncomfortable. He's like on the streets, like 
it looks like he's connected to, like a marionette. Like there's some strings on his shoulder, and he's just kind of slumped. When I, when I watch him talk, it makes me feel <laughs> like I need to be scratching. Like it makes me feel like I have an itch or something. Like I don't know. It's just so what? I, More plenty of people come in here to to make you feel good about what you're doing. But we need people who are going to build the space, and the people who are in charge of ridiculously complicated technology. We need all the types of people. We need all the people, and I don't think Vitalik fits that description. I think there's other people though in, in the Ethereum Foundation in the community that do fit that description, and that's why I think Ethereum is is definitely getting that network effect. It's starting to get that network effect that Bitcoin had two years back. Three years back, but I'm just saying, like, I think that that's just not one of his stronger seats. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no shit. It's, why, why should it be? Why should it be? I mean, nobody said it had to be. I'm just saying, like, it's tough to listen to guy. That's all. I don't think he wants to be listened to. He tries to talk like he wants to be listened to, but it just no, doesn't he, come out he like he's in where he thinks he has an opinion. But everyone's asking him questions because they want him to be this person that he's not. He's he's a he's a tech developer. There's no reason. To me, he's like the human embodiment of that like voice that you hear in like all movies, like the the computer voice that talks like this and always is enunciating things really strangely. Like, I feel like that's if that, like, he's that. He's a nerd. He's a nerd. Yeah, he's a nerd. I mean, if he went to a house party, it's not like he would be, like, doing keg stands. He'd probably just be a wallflower. Nerd. I pictured him doing blow off of the hooker's booty. He can certainly afford it. I'd like for all of you ladies to line up Cheek to cheek, I've got to do something. Looks like Stephen Hawking. The Stephen Hawking impression? That's pretty mean, Joe. <laughs> so was your That's so pretty... was your impersonation. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> My impersonation was accurate. When you're accurate, you can't be mean. We should probably go into the interview. We've been talking for quite a while. Sure. Go ahead, Jello. Uh D solo this one. No, I didn't. I wasn't there for that. I was. <laughs> this, is, this is Corey and me. Oh, all I know him is I, I know him as the man behind all of the militant tweets. That's really all I really know about this guy. That's yeah, man, Simpson Ma. I said his name way wrong. Mal at the beginning. Gave yeah, I was like, this is pronunciation of a Chinese name. Mao, 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 Mao. And I didn't say it like that. <laughs> but he was like, um, my name is Samson Ma. And I was like, well, that's not how those letters worked in my head. I'm yeah. clearly not cultured. But Mao, 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 Mao. That's what I always think name. about I think about the Ferris Bueller song. The mm, Mao, Mao. Bow, 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 bow. It's beautiful. Yeah, but when I hear his name, that's it just kicks in my head. Yeah, well, that's that's wrong. No. No. <laughs> I'm never gonna. Every that's time I see Americans his name, do now. it. Yeah. <laughs> Mao, Every time he tweets, that's what I'm gonna think. I just think about Duff Man doing like pelvis thrusts every time he tweets. All right. Well, D, you want to keep giving the introduction? 
Yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Ma, he uh, works for Blockstream. And, I mean, there's not much more to say than that, right? He works for Blockstream. Yeah, He's don't, like, go uh, his, don't go to his uh, Wikipedia profile because it's really old. Or it doesn't even, it doesn't even tell you that he works for Blockstream. Um, he came on the show to clear, clear some things uh, about people, like how people view Blockstream and, you know, what he feels that people have a bad perception of Blockstream because of ever since the, sca- the scaling debate started and him being the CSO of Blockstream, he's obviously taken a lot of flack. Um, he is a troll. He's admittedly a troll, I believe. But he, he does tweet things to get under people's skin. Um, if you don't know who Blockstream is, they're the like originators of the sidechain idea. I believe I'm correct on it. Like they they said, hey, we're gonna have a sidechain called Liquid, and they're trying to introduce liquidity between miners and exchanges. Um. But from taking it from him, Blockstream is not like the like main driver of this divisiveness. They're just a bunch of developers trying to develop Bitcoin. So, yeah, here it is. Hey, everybody. It's host number two, D. I don't know. You've heard that already because you listened to the top of the show. But we got an interview, a great interview today. Uh, we're joined with Samson, and um, yeah, I'm just going to let him introduce himself, and we're just going to jump right into it. You guys know how we do, so please, please introduce yourself and uh, let our audience know a little bit who you are, you know, like how you stumbled into crypto or Bitcoin and what you do. All right. My name is Samson Mo. I'm currently Chief Strategy Officer at Blockstream. I'm sure you guys have heard of that company. <laughs> um <laughs> We're doing uh, blockchain infrastructure for companies, and we have one product that's coming out on the market early next year. It's called Liquid, uh, also known as a sidechain to some people. Um, basically, it's a platform that links together exchanges, so they get Bitcoins to different exchanges to take advantage of arbitrage opportunities. And uh, let's see, I'm also heading up product at Blockstream, and I do a lot of community stuff as well in the Bitcoin uh, industry. I'd say so. You've been around for quite a while. What, what what made you choose to join Blockstream as the chief security officer? Or not a security officer, it's chief strategy officer. Repeat, it's cutting out a bit. Yeah. Our, our connection as a whole seems to be sketchy. <laughs> I said, what made you choose to join Blockstream um, in the first place? Like, what, Why was that a good fit for you? Okay, so I was previously at um, BTCC, uh, BTC China. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was living in Shanghai. And I actually moved back to Canada, where I'm from originally. So it's nicer to work with people on the same time zone. And also, I think it's really interesting. Uh, they're really pushing the boundaries of, of the technology and the blockchain uh, technology. And they're doing a lot of good stuff to support the community. So Blockstream hires some people on staff, uh, like Greg Maxwell and Peter Willey that are working on uh, Bitcoin Core and supporting that. Yeah, it's, I, I've, I've definitely followed a lot of the work that they've done. And now that 
SegWit finally, finally coming through as a software upgrade to <laughs> Bitcoin network. I've, I have a feeling like a lot of what Blockstream works on was what would you say it's like a lot of side chains are almost contingent upon segregated witness becoming a software fork? Uh, actually, so segregated witness is not needed uh, to do side chains or strong federations. We can actually do that already. So that's why we're actually, and we could be in production if we are we were ready, but we're holding it back to do more testing and onboarding more exchanges if we wanted to. And same with other other sidechain type uh, uh, things like drive chain or even rootstock. Uh, those things, these these things all depend on um, two-way pegs, and that doesn't require SegWit. So that's actually some misinformation that's been spread. Uh, in, the, in the Bitcoin what? community thing, Blockstream needs SegWit. <laughs> well, you just blew my these world are, these open. Kind of I'm trying to, I would love to get out into the light. Is like the 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 spread of misinformation in this space as a whole is extraordinary, and it's very difficult for people to find correct information or good sources of it. Where do you where do you go? Where, where what is your advice for someone coming into the space to find a good source that they can trust, uh, at least on a on a semi regular uh, basis? If you're if you're new and you're trying to get acclimatized and take in all the information, I think Bitcoin Magazine is a good starting point. They're not very commercial, so you don't find various projects or ICOs. They're focused on the tech. Um, Aaron is uh, Aaron Van Wordham. He's a great writer. He really drills into the details, but he kind of um, cooks it and prepares it for you in a way that well, they're not, you know, not engineers or software developers. So I think that's a good. I would suggest if you're if you want to go a level up, you can read the Bitcoin Dev mailing list. Uh, they're always talking about things there, and they also release the meeting notes on the Bitcoin Core website. Uh, bitcoincore.org and if you really want to use reddit <laughs> you can look for greg maxwell's posts on reddit so he's usually posting an rbtc which is kind of ironic but he's trying to correct a lot of that misinformation on reddit at the source of the misinformation <laughs> he's going into the belly of the beast yeah we we say he's rolling around in the mud <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we had uh, we had Aaron on the show to discuss kind of the all of the potential futures of um, Bitcoin with all of these different upgrades, and then the forks that could potentially happen, and what the average person should know or what to expect, and how to secure their own money for these types of things. And that was a that ended up being a great interview. Go ahead, having Aaron on. So, so ahead, I guess uh, I have a question. So, a lot of people, you know, they have these grandiose ideas that when side chains are released in the wild, then it's going to totally eliminate the need for all of these other coins that have sprouted up throughout the years, some of them successful, some of them not. Do you kind of share that sentiment? Or do you think that, no, there's plenty of room in the play in the sandbox for everybody to play around? I think there's plenty of room. I mean, sidechains uh, are designed... It, it doesn't really take away, I guess, some of the use cases for other uh, other tokens or coins, uh, because in generally, the, in general, they'll touch in some way. So for Liquid, for example, we're pegged one to one, 
So you lock one Bitcoin on Bitcoin's blockchain to access one on Liquid. So it doesn't actually um, increase the supply or do anything. You lets you transact it differently on on Liquid, which is at in one minute intervals and with lower fees, and it, to a use case for traders to move their coins around. Um, I think there there is a role for different coins in in the ecosystem, and I think it's it's bad cryptocurrency in general that there are you know multiple coins out there like Litecoin or Monero because it just makes it harder for it to go away. It's uh, more robust. How do you how do you see the future of this entire space? I, I, that's a that's a very strange question, but like <laughs> especially without a time frame. But like, where do you see things going, especially with kind of this irrational exuberance with ICOs in the Ethereum space, um, this kind of crazy money grab with a looming SEC crackdown, and then I'll, now that. Now that the scaling debate is starting to actually make moves, how Bitcoin's role in all of this is changing. Like, what do you what do you see going on here like, over the next six months to a year? I think um, six long for <laughs> cryptocurrency. Um, I think Bitcoin's dominance will will be maintained. I don't think anything is going to take over Bitcoin. Um, I think market cap because if you look at ethereum they have so many coins out there and if you're just multiplying coins by price then it looks like they're big but they're not really they're not really dominating and they're not really there are no use cases for ethereum right now other than speculation and icos um i think it's calming down there's a bit of a frenzy but uh, ethereum price is stabilizing around 200 i think uh the ico frenzy is going to die down as well as people <laughs> As basically people get get scammed and they realize that they're moving, you know, a relatively illiquid asset like Ethereum tokens, Ether into an even more liquid ERC twenty token that they're probably never going to get out of. Uh, to become aware of these things and to learn what they actually are, uh, but I think combine that with the impending regulation and oversight. Uh, I think the ICO market will calm down and we'll start to actually see legitimate use cases for ICOs. Like, I don't know, real companies doing ICOs to raise funds versus some guys with a white paper and some hopes and dreams. <laughs> Why are there? Uh, I guess, complete different shift of, of topic conversation here. Uh, why is Blockstream, Blockstream considered core? Like, why do people automatically make that connection? Is it just because you have a few contributors to Bitcoin Core that people think Blockstream is the number one, like, influence of how that software is developed? I think it probably has a lot to do with uh, Greg Maxwell being very influential and <laughs> Peter Woolley being a great coder. He's like one of those 10x programmers. Yeah. So he's very efficient. So I think those two things contribute. Um, but also, it's just part of this narrative that the, which is to say, Bitcoin is Bitcoin or Bitcoin Core is being controlled by a company, and it's just been this pervasive, ongoing, convenient narrative that they've been replaying over and over, especially from people like Roger. And you know, if you if they repeat it enough, and they have some believe it, I think those two things I think contribute, but 
it also is a lack of understanding of how open source software uh, development works because anyone can contribute. And for people that are used to, you know, having a company building a piece of software, they think, okay, well, the people developing it control it, but that's actually not the case. Uh, you can clone the project like we see often happens. We can even see people <laughs> cloning the coin itself, cloning the project and the blockchain like um, mm -hmm. Bitcoin Cash. Uh, but no one's forcing you to run Bitcoin It's the most stable and reliable implementation. Um, and people mistake that influence that certain developers have um, with control, but it's really influence, not that they can dictate certain things. And taking Greg, for example, he doesn't really even want to uh, be such a influence on, on what people think. That's why he doesn't write blog posts, go out there and assert his views. He just rolls in the mud with the people on RBTC trying to uh, express, you know, facts while maintaining a low profile. Why? Hmm. What's the point? What's the point? Like, why would they make up this narrative that spreads so much information? What's like? What do they gain from? potentially sullying the name of Blockstream or, or putting out this narrative that um, Bitcoin Core is controlled by a company. I'm trying, I, it's, I, I want people to maybe start to think about what's the potential gain of creating a narrative if that's what they're doing. Well, I think there's, it's multiple levels. It's, it's, it's a very complex topic. So, well, certainly one thing that can be gained is that if uh, you spin that narrative that Blockstream is controlling then you can kind of sell them on some other implementation like Bitcoin Classic, Bitcoin XT, uh, Bitcoin Unlimited, uh, Bitcoin ABC, BTC1. All these implementations that are trying to, I don't know, take and establish themselves as a, as a credible alternative. And, you know, why would they want to do that? I think it has to do with control. People like having control. They like... Um, they like being able to dictate things and uh, have um, the project develop at a certain timeline with certain features that they want. Look at the Segwit2x, the Barry Silbert New York New York Agreement Group. That's a those are a lot of industry players and companies. Um, and what they want is, I guess, to present to their investors that you know Bitcoin development will follow. BTC one and it's going to have this timeline and we're going to do these certain things, but that doesn't really work for Bitcoin because then you have a centralized, uh, centralized team building out software meant for enterprises. And that's not really what Bitcoin's all about. It's not about companies dictating what's going to go in. It's about uh, digital gold and having uh, the protocol not being influenced by short-term interests of companies and businesses. Hmm. So then, on that note, how successful was this uh, this this fork, this upgrade that just happened last week? Uh, which nine one? out of ten or ten out of ten? Bitcoin Cash. No. Well, yeah, like what what just happened? I mean, the the you know they forked off, and now we have Bitcoin, and then Bitcoin Cash. But you know we have Segwit on one and not the other. It looks like. The SegWit chain is the most dominant one right now. Is that a success in the world of is would we consider what just happened last week, the fork last week? Is that a success in the land of open source development? I think it's a success that shows Bitcoin is permissionless. Um, 
it's quite disruptive to the industry when uh, you know some miners in one exchange collude to launch a new coin <laughs> and force it on on everybody and force the, them to adopt it. Right? Announced it on on July twenty something twenty second, so that's like ten days of notice or less to exchanges, wallets, and everyone that there's a fork and that a fork is going to happen. And that's not enough time to prepare. That's why Trezor was like racing to uh, allow their users to split their coins, and exchanges are still not ready uh, to list this thing if they decide to list it. So it's a success in terms of it shows that anyone can can do anything. But it's um, as a project, I think it's kind of a a failure in that it shows that market manipulation is uh, very easy. Because you don't need much to spin up this new type of clone coin. It's all you need is a little bit of hashing power. You need uh, one or two exchanges to list it and uh, establish it a price, um, probably through a futures market like Via BTC did, and then something. And the fact that they cloned the blockchain meant that everyone got coins on on Bitcoin Cash or Bcash. And that kind of <laughs> incites people thinking that I have money now, I have free money, because look at the, their prices, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I have coins, therefore, give it back. And that creates a lot of pressure and a lot of confusion in the ecosystem. Yeah, it's definitely this weird the, thing where you create this coin out of thin air, which then has this, you know, because it's seen it's a clone of bitcoin it's seen as some type of subsidiary or or percentage splitting off of the main network and the value will usually follow the percentage that's split off relative to mining power so you just create this very large sum of money billions of dollars out of thin air and then oh, it's, it's that's like strategy. it's the it's the market cap metric right it doesn't really work yeah so if i make a new coin you know dimitric coin and i sell it to Corey for a million dollars and there's you know uh, uh, a million of them did we just create a trillion dollars i don't think so yeah <laughs> that's the, that's why market cap is a bad indicator but you know for the average person they just look at the numbers and that then gives in, false legitimacy to the underlying platform yeah and, and the media they're not really versed in in crypto and all all this stuff so they just report at face value and say well look at this New thing just materialized and it's billions of dollars, and that spreads like wildfire. <laughs> but yeah, so how does it's how did, clear that did, it's really easy to manipulate the markets like this? How do you see this upcoming fork happening with with, with the with the two x hard fork? And because there's another potential split here with people not wanting to do the two megabyte hard fork and those that do. Right. Well, <laughs> how do I phrase this? So okay. The media has been saying that the Bitcoin Cash fork is a split, but it's really not a split. It's kind of a, it's a clone. It's a copy. It's a duplicate. Yeah. So they made this implementation. They ripped out SegWit from the code base and they put a little bit of hashing power behind it. You know, 175 petahash or something like that. It's quite piddly. So it's not really a split. It's more like an exodus. They've left and they've duplicated it. They've copied it. The media oh, reports on that. They they call it a split because it looks like a stock split, right? And if you look at Ethereum when it split, it was kind of like a stock split. They had a, a price of like 20 bucks. And then when they split, 
price basically split as well. But that's not the case for Bitcoin. This is a copy. And you can't really, it, it, it makes some logical sense that you can just copy Bitcoin and it has this magical billion dollar value, right? It's just uh, an illiquid market with a price that shows up in the current system we have that makes it look like it has. Well, by, there, I'm, I'm you saying can it's, argue semantics here. It's kind of, it's one of those things like if the, if that mining power that is now doing Bitcoin ABC, running that software code and mining that particular blockchain came from the original Bitcoin, then it is some sort of a split. Uh, but it's the, whether or not it's a very large percentage kind of tells you and, and the reason for the split. Like it's split because of pure ideology and differences. So they I guess said, you could we're say no there's yeah. doing that anymore. So we're leaving this network and, and, and taking the history of the network we used to have and then moving it to a different direction. So that you, can, true, you can argue true. semantics here, but it's it's one of the reasons. Like it's like who cares? It's it's kind of a, it's 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 good for the whole ecosystem, in my opinion, because the people who want to do what they want to do are now doing that, and they can't their influence or or spread of information can then just be relegated to that network or like what they want. That ideology is now on its own, and it's no longer influencing them well directly. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think you're right. It's um, it is a bit of semantics that can be very mercenary. So when when Ethereum really split, it was a split between. Uh, it was an ideological split too. But once it was split, you have miners mining both. They would switch back and forth based on profitability. Mm-hmm. So hash rate is not really a good indicator. I say <laughs> ideological. Uh, ideologically it's split but because it, hash rate can move it's really easy to switch from one chain to another chain and we see that with a lot of altcoins when they're being mined um what's i going to say about segwit 2x i don't think it can actually happen it, you cannot force a hard fork on the network you cannot force the network to split the best you can do is like do the clone split so the best they could do in november is to be one client and then have a new coin like a b2x i think that's what it's being called uh but it would they could put a hashing power behind that too but it would just be a clone of the chain again and the media would probably report that you know bitcoin is split a third time <laughs> and it, but it's not really a split right the original is still there the original is still strong all the exchanges are still listing it as btc um all the merchants are still accepting bitcoin they're not accepting bcash or coin but they're kind of splitting off. They're the Bitcoin. Bitcoin itself is not split. I guess it's a matter like it depends on. So like if you have the large percentage of miners, then move on to whatever the split or this 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 alternate implementation. Then you have something like a hard fork because the other one is becomes basically becomes non-existent. The lack of participation on that particular network. That's I think the future that other that people who want segwit 2x to happen but in reality that's more than likely not going to happen you have something very similar to um what happened with bitcoin yeah Cash, so we just have three networks with two of them being minuscule but still alive and, and moving while the other while the main one probably the original one continues as it was probably but the reason why i think 2x can't happen is because no one's preparing for it now um, if you really want to do a hard fork with the intention of it being up, an upgrade, so when I say being an upgrade, your intention is that you result in one chain, not two, mm-hmm. then people would be upgrading now, right? You'd have wallet 
for the hard fork. You'd have ATM providers preparing for the hard fork, but nobody's preparing. So that means if November, some part of the, some people that sign uh, shapeshift, they decide to hard fork, they're just going to fork themselves off. Okay, so so the hard, the, the proposed fork in November is unlikely to happen because nobody is preparing for it now. Um, so if if we're if, if it was going to happen, people would be getting ready. Wallet providers would be getting ready. ATMs, merchants, everybody would be preparing for this upgrade. But nobody is. So if they actually follow through the agreement, then they're just going to split themselves off. It's kind of like um, I don't know, ten friends, and you're the only one that's packed your bags, and you're the only one in the car. So if you decide to drive off, then you're leaving everyone else behind. It's not that you know. It's not that you went on a road trip because. And nine other people didn't go. <laughs> I, like I kind of like that analogy. We've, we've I'm going been, on a road trip. We definitely try and find fun analogies that help people who are trying to grasp onto these. Like these, these concepts are very difficult. And even as you mentioned or alluded to, the economic incentive is 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 different from the ideological differences here for these different change. So the people, the mining, the people who are trying to make money, a profitable business, and and verifying these networks don't really give a shit about the ideological differences if they can make a buck off of one one chain from another and that plays a large role in how people view the legitimacy of these chains despite like whether or not that argument is even worth considering it's yes that's true and so like finding fun analogies or good ways to explain these things is something that we always appreciate and i think i'm gonna i might i might steal that uh going on a road trip one from you (laughs) sure (laughs) I think yeah, that, I think it's a good know, example because you can't just say we're going on a road trip and nine other guys don't give a shit. That's just you driving away in a car. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that sustainable. I think, and if people if we keep splitting and splitting, like you said, we can't just generate value out of thin air, and it's it's just not sustainable. I think eventually, like, there's gonna be some consensus. And I kind of appreciate that we're kind of working our way through it. Finally, I was getting upset and impatient with how long this took. That's all. Been raging on for a year, two years now. Yeah. It's It's been a while. That's the thing, though. I think Andreas talks about this a lot. The scaling debate, quote unquote, scaling debate, Bitcoin or how Bitcoin is going to scale. That conversation is never going to stop. And we've been mm-hmm. discussing SegWit for multiple years and getting that into. Granted, it took a long time to make sure it was tested and approved and everyone was ready to upgrade it. But that it's just it's that's just the stepping stone to start doing real scaling implementation or scaling solutions. It adds a little bit of, you know, breathing room to do things, but it just basically fixes malleability with some other stuff. So now we can start doing scaling solutions. And then now the conversation will shift to those types of things. Like scaling is never not going to be an issue because we're just going to keep bringing people more in when we provide room for them to be here. True. Well, the interesting thing, interesting thing about the scaling debate is that it's not really a scaling debate because <laughs> if you ask yourself, what have the Bitcoin past, you know, seven years, eight years, it's been scaling Bitcoin. That's every release is to scale software and make it better increase uh decrease block propagation times uh decrease block validation times uh making nodes run more efficiently like the bitcoin blockchain has been growing still able to sync up a new node to the network 
and download the blockchain and and validate it in a reasonable amount of time. That's not something you can actually do with Ethereum. Like if you've run an Ethereum node before, so I set up a ETC mining pool before. It took almost a week to synchronize the blockchain. It was not a fun thing to do. And <laughs> people kind of take it for granted that it scaling of Bitcoin is ongoing and it's multifaceted. It's not just about the block size. It's a lot of different things. Oh yeah. But how do you mm. what do you do about that? Like these these this isn't gonna get less complex. This isn't gonna get easier to explain to people as they come in. Should the average person give a shit? I mean we have open source software development and an open source community because we have no leader how to move that software development. But and at the end, the end user shouldn't have to care about a lot of these things to, to take advantage of the promises that Bitcoin offers or any other open, trustless cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the average user, user shouldn't need to care too much. I think they should be aware because uh, Bitcoin is about your self-sovereignty, uh, financial sovereignty. So care about some of the development and what's going on. Otherwise, you should just use cash, right? <laughs> if you want control, you have to be able to educate yourself and learn uh, at least a little bit. And unfortunately, the whole scaling thing has been politicized. You're right that previously it wasn't a big deal. Gavin Andreessen that politicized it. So he kind of made it all about block size and started campaigning, calling up mining pools and trying to convince them to switch to Bitcoin XT. That was when it all started, actually, or maybe before that. But that was when it became when he started campaigning. And I'm, I know that because I was at BTCC at the time and he basically called up and said, hey, we need to make eight megabyte blocks. Otherwise, there are going to be problems. Uh, do you support this new client? because Bitcoin Core is not doing a good job and they're not listening to business needs or whatnot. So I don't really have an answer for what we can do about it in the future. I think it's just going to be an ongoing process. And, um, you know, every battle makes Bitcoin stronger. It makes more people aware. When you guys are doing podcasts, you're informing more people. And I think it's just uh, some growing pains that we have to deal with. Um, I have a question. So... Do you think that we're ever going to stop hearing Bitcoin is dead? Silence. Stop. Because it's uh, there are benefits to saying Bitcoin is dead. If you're trading Bitcoin and there is a news outlet saying Bitcoin is dead, then the price will come down. So you can kind of short it. Anything goes. And, you, and that's also why the scaling debate is a thing, because Bitcoin is a protocol for money. It's not a protocol for information. It's a protocol for money. They do various things in their own best interest. So, for example, the, the scaling debate and fighting and SegWit, you know, not having SegWit benefits some people because they might be using some optimizations that SegWit will break. So, as long as there are different incentives for different people, I think we're going to FUD and Bitcoin is dead. And, you know, Bitcoin is dead gets a lot of attention when news outlets publish that they get clicks they don't get clicks when bitcoin has 99.99 percent uptime and the core developers are doing a great job keeping it functioning hmm. no that's not sexy. i would read that i would click it i would read oh, that's it that's not sexy to the average person like i don't know it's like look at, the, <laughs> look at the regular media as it is now we don't report on you know, this cool shit happened over here the other day and nothing came from it like it's 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 always yeah bad stuff <laughs> yep it's kind of like rocket launches, right? Like, 
when a rocket launches, you know, some people might watch it, but in general, it doesn't get much press coverage. But if a rocket explodes, then uh, media is all over it. Yeah. Mm. You're, uh, you're uh, on point with the analogies. <laughs> I, I, I try. I try. <laughs> um, I have a question. Another question. I like to always announce when I have a question. Um, okay. Two-way pegs. Is it just a technology that could work with any blockchain? Um, if they have check lock time verify... So I think Litecoin can do it. Any Bitcoin fork, like Litecoin or others, can do it. Uh, Vertcoin, Grosselcoin, uh, Bitcoin fork that it's um, updated and uh, rebased to Coin Core can do this. I don't know about other ones. I don't know if Ethereum can do it. Yeah, we're just gonna ask you one more question. Question we ask all of our. Are you recording? All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Please be. Um, the, Hope, the, hopefully, the final question is: In tid words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Digital gold. Digital gold. That's definitely less than ten words. I think it's like the third person that says that. Yeah. It's oh, it's a it's a it's a pretty good <laughs> good way to say it. <laughs> if you want to say it as fast as possible. Yeah. yeah. Well. um Let's wrap it up before the internet just boots us off of Skype completely. <laughs> I would like I would oh, like to right. I would like Maybe to ask we... one more thing. Is there anything that oh. we should have asked you that we didn't ask? Is there something you'd like to talk about or get out um, that we didn't talk sure. to? Uh, let me think. Um, well, you could ask me what's the next what's the next debate? <laughs> what's that? the next debate in the uh, ongoing crypto wars for Bitcoin? Oh, you have the inside scoop. Let's hear it. Well, I think it's going to be fungibility. Are you guys familiar? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, how do we know that coin is as valuable as we think it is? Is I'll that pass. what you mean? Can you get it out into liquid? Yeah. Can you hear? Hello? Yeah, yeah. You're breaking up again. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. This is a rough one, man. We <laughs> usually never have problems like this. Yeah, we should do hangouts, maybe. Hang can out? you hear me, Hold up. me now? I can hear Wait. you. You can hear me okay. Kind of. You go in and out. Like you, 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 Pretty much I can hear kind you of. when you ask if I can hear you. And then everything else after, after that is just garbage. <laughs> oh, man. That's shit. That's shit. <laughs> so the next scaling debate or Bitcoin debate will probably be about fungibility and privacy. Uh, that's basically making sure that your transactions are, you know, yeah, they're not going to do it all. That explanation is basically any other coin really trace. Samson, they're not coming to it. Oh man, okay, let me. You want to switch to Hangouts? We can do that real quick. See if you can just wrap that up in a nice kind of finish. That I would, I would like that to come out. That's a, that's a good argument in my opinion. So if you want to switch to Hangouts real quick, and he's gone. Fuck. You there, D? It's a lot better. Okay. But I think it's going to start breaking up. See, but that way you try. <laughs> okay. Fungibility. Okay, fungibility. So fungibility is probably fung fungibility and privacy are probably going to be the next uh, things that we fight about for Bitcoin. Um, because it, I think some people don't really like it. Um, 
it makes things more difficult for certain businesses that want to report um, you know transactions and trace transactions and I think um, it's going to flare up maybe in a year maybe six months but it's going to be the next battle I think mm. how does one prepare themselves for such a battle <laughs> well information so you have to learn about it and counteract the FUD counteract the misinformation uh, it's going to be an interesting one because there have been some very vocal opponents to SegWit and scaling and layer two solutions that you think would just be no brainers. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see who comes out on the side of being against fungibility and privacy um, because technically everyone should be for it, right? If you're really for digital gold, you're for financial sovereignty, then, you know, these are very important things. And, not having your coins traced, uh, not being revealed when you do transactions. Those, it'll be interesting to see who is against that. I can think of a few mm. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, Definitely. It's, it's one of those things that's, it's, it, there is no stopping it. You, you, you're not going to stop the fungibility. So the people who are against it are going to have to find ways of getting around it or, or like, find ways of trying to enable the people that they'd like to keep track of to have better practices in reporting and reporting processes. But it, there is no way of stopping that type of thing. Like zero knowledge proofs are a thing. There's ring signatures. Or there's a lot of really cool cryptography that allows the, the further obfuscation of information, which gives you your self-sovereignty as well as holding on yeah. to your own information as opposed to putting it on a server like all of that is the push of blockchain yeah. in general and there is no stopping that mm -hmm. i think going to be very interesting like you said yeah and it goes back to the earlier question you asked about you know are there is there room for other coins in the ecosystem i think that that is a purpose that they serve like so monero you know they're already they're already doing this stuff they're doing privacy and fungibility so <laughs> We're not going to get it on Bitcoin quickly because Bitcoin is very slow moving and it's hard to upgrade because we need that consensus. Otherwise, we split, right? So it's more likely we'll get this in a year or two, maybe three. But, you know, Monero can do it right now. Or you can have some new coin pop up that does, does this stuff. Uh, but they, they have that utility in that they can move quickly and do those, these things right away, whereas Bitcoin... It's uh, reliable, stable. It's like the reserve currency, but it does take longer to upgrade and get these features in, especially when people are campaigning against them actively. Mm. I'm glad I asked that question. I'm glad I got a glimpse into the future so I know how to prepare myself. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, th thanks for. I mean, is there anything else? Do you want to? Do you want to plug yourself? How can people get a hold of you? What should they care about? Um, should they get a hold of you if they wanted to? <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot, so my handle is Excelion. Uh, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-O-N and if you ask I'll probably respond if I can alright <laughs> okay yeah yeah sorry about the connection guys I don't know what's up it's usually not this bad it happens yeah. sometimes uh, we appreciate you kind of powering through with us and we'll make it sound as best we can okay. and uh, I Thanks. hope that you get to come back sometime and have another conversation with us we'd like having you on yeah let's do it again uh, with a better connection <laughs> ah, yeah yes. definitely I think it'll be a lot more fun <laughs> okay, thanks guys. Yeah, thank you. And that was the interview with Mr. Ma from Blockstream.
CSO of Blockstream. Hope you enjoyed it. So we're going to wrap things up. Um, thank you for tuning in again. Um, keep tuned in. We have lots of things coming down the pipeline this month still. Lots of shows to release. Lots of content. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the BTC podcast. Uh, tweet at us. Tweet stuff to us. Tweet possible guests. And include us in that tweet so we can see it and act on it. Uh, join the Slack if you come to the BitcoinPodcast.com or the other random URLs that we own. You go to the Slack tab. If you can't find the Slack tab, then you're probably not tech-savvy enough to be listening to the show in the first place. So, hey, uh, Oh, burn. Find the Slack tab. Sign up for the Slack. Join in on the conversation. Um, we're part of that 20%, most of us, I think. I talked about the 80-20% principle at the top of the show. And if you're not 20%, come join the Slack, man. Get, be part of the conversation. All right? Um, what else do we do? Corey, what about your blogs? You got a blog coming out soon, right? Yeah, what you working on? Yet. I have to do some edits, add a few things that I think are, are necessary. It's cool. The whole series is basically trying to explain how proof of work fits into the consensus mechanism of proof-of-work blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum, as Ethereum currently works, and how proof-of-stake attempts to take over the roles that proof-of-work plays in these consensus mechanisms. So the first blog is explaining proof-of-work and what role it plays, while the other ones will be different implementations of proof-of-stake and how they try and um, perform the tasks that proof-of-work plays and what benefits or problems that they bring or like what new implications that has on the underlying consensus protocol. I'm trying to do it kind of difficult in a manner that is approachable by people who don't understand what proof of work is or like the technicalities. So that means you need to give it to a rando and see if they understand it. And if they do, then you mission succeeded, right? Yeah. Probably give it to my wife. That's the opposite of a rando. She doesn't understand how the technology works. Like really? She just gets a lot of the shit that I say. Mm. That's love, man. Yeah. She can also do a lot of grammatical edits we, that I can't find because she's a better writer than me. So. Every time I do a Facebook post, I feel like she's judging me because I my grammar's all over the place. He is. So judgy. Cello, you still talking about open that restaurant proof of steak where we bring the raw steak out to the table and let them choose which one they want? Oh, yeah. I just need a couple hundred thousand dollars. A couple hundred thousand? Hey, Bear, we're talking to you. <laughs> if you're listening and you need an investment, it's us. We're going to open up a restaurant called Proof of Steak. And then we actually bring a table of steaks out to the table and we let them choose which one they want. And then well, we actually, go in the back yeah. and we cook a different one. Huh? Yeah, I was about to say, if Roger Ver is involved, then... Then we won't agree with anything be... that you do or how you run things, but we will take yeah, the money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah like with, with we zero we obligations. Yeah. <laughs> I wholeheartedly disagree with everything you say. However, please invest in my restaurant, and it won't be a restaurant <laughs> because I've seen articles that millennials don't like restaurants. What's a restaurant? They don't. They're going out of they're going oh, out peaks. of uh, business here. Carolina Ale House just. Uh, 
close down shop and they're closing a bunch of other stuff around here. Yeah, restaurants are restaurants where the breasts aren't necessarily on the menu, but they help you order wings. You know, like when you go to Hooters, it's like you always notice how the waitresses are like, oh, have you seen the menu? That doesn't change ever. Let me see if I can help you with that. And they get all up in your business and you're like, oh, look, thank, oh, boobs. Cool. Like, thanks. All right. Let's get out of Restaurant. Here. Anyways. Um, is long enough. Yeah. Um, shout out to Zoe, who's 40. I didn't know she was 40 years old. Blows my mind. Gorgeous. Shout out to Zoe Saldana. Um, shout out to um, Ophelia for dropping us some knowledge this episode. Uh, play the outro.